I'm honored to be able to jump back into our series through the book of Ephesians, From Death to Life. In Ephesians chapter 2, we've been walking verse by verse through this powerful letter written to the Ephesian church. And we actually started with Ephesians chapter 2, uh, verses 1 through 2. So if you want to catch up on those two messages, you can find them on walkchurch.com in the sermon archive. We walked through verse 1 the first week. We walked through verse 2 last week. And we're going to hit up verse 3 this week. But let me go ahead and recap verse 1 and 2 so we can be reminded of where we've come from. The text says, And you were dead in the trespasses and sins in which you once walked, following the course of this world, following the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience. At the outset of Ephesians chapter 2, Paul reminds us of four things about ourselves. The first thing that he reminds us of is that one, we're dead in our sins and trespasses. Because we've sinned by following, falling short of God's glory, because we've sinned by missing the mark that he's given us, because we've sinned by missing his standard, we've fallen short of his glory. Because we've trespassed the commands that he has so graciously given us, we've trespassed our, our Lord and our Savior. And the result of doing those two things, sinning and trespassing, the response has been death. That we have been made dead because of our sins and trespasses. I, told, I, I spoke about it like this in the first week, that we're, we're, we're the walking dead, we're the actual living show. We're zombies on earth apart from Christ when it comes to spiritual life. The second thing that we learned was we're following the course of this world. Whatever the world said do, that's what we did. Wherever the world said go, that's where we went. We weren't following the Lord in his ways. We were following our own ways. And whatever the world called us to do is what we did. We talked about that last week. And following the leader looks like following the capital L leader. We're all being led by somebody. Depends if you're being led by the right somebody. So we talked about that. We're not just following the course of this world. We're following Satan, the prince of the power of this air. And all this, we have a leader who's actually the enemy. Paul's reminding us of where we've come from. He's saying, before you knew Christ, I mean, really knew Christ, you were dead, you followed the world, and the world followed right along with its master, Satan, the prince of the power of the air. I was thinking about this as I was writing up this message, and I was just praying through it, and I was just reminded, like, man, I used to follow Satan. I used to follow the enemy. But now I'm on the winning team. I was thinking about making a shirt that says, Satan loses. But that might be too bold. I'm going to stick with the Jesus wins and, um, and, and keep, it, keep it at that. Um, but not only were we following the enemy, but the text says that we were led by a spirit. And it was a spirit of disobedience. The spirit within us wasn't the Holy Spirit of God that desires the things of him. It was actually the opposite. The spirit that was in us desires the things of disobedience. Choose the thing that he said don't do. That's who was leading us apart from Christ. That's our state. For some of you in the room, that's where you are right now. And my encouragement to you is don't be content with being spiritually dead, lost, following the world, following the enemy, living with a spirit of disobedience. That will lead you to destruction. I love you enough to tell you that. It's the reality of the gospel. And not only will it lead you to destruction, it will lead you to emptiness. There's no fulfillment in life 
and following this world and following the prince of this air, but there is life found in Christ. Proverbs 14, chapter 12 says it like this. The wisest person to ever live outside of Jesus was named Solomon, and he asked for wisdom, and here's what he wrote in his wisdom. He said, there's a way that seems right to a man, but its end is the way to death. There might be a way that, that seems right to you. And he says, apart from Christ, that way, that's, it, it, you convince yourself, you know what, it, it feels right. It seems right, though. But, but pastor, it just seems, it feels right. I get it. And it will also lead you to death. When the mask comes off, you'll see that that leadership was actually death itself. And Jesus wants to expose that. And he's doing that in the Ephesian church and at Walk Church at the same time. These are the realities. And brothers and sisters, just when you thought it couldn't get any worse than these four, Paul has another verse for us to give us understanding on who we are apart, apart from Christ. Lord, I pray right now that you would open our eyes. God, I know that we'll never appreciate the good things until we understand the bad things. We'll never fully treasure who you are, Christ, until we understand how much you've saved us from. So give us an understanding of that now as we unfold your word. Help me. Just say, say, oh Lord, help me. Help me, God. In Jesus' name, amen. Let's go ahead and look at our um, selected verse for today, Ephesians chapter 2, verse 3. It says, you once lived this way, followed this way, among whom we all once lived. Praise God, you're not alone, amen? You're not alone in the room among whom we all once lived in the passions of our flesh, some translations would say in the lusts of our flesh, carrying out the desires of the body and the mind, and were by nature children of wrath like the rest of mankind. Amen. This may sound crazy to you, but I'm actually going to preach a sermon to you today that has two sermons in one. Who would have thought you got two for the price of one? I don't know what the price is, but just the fact that you're here is that that news, and you're going to get two in one. If you're ready, say ready. If, if, come on, give me a better one. If you're ready, say I'm ready. I like it. Praise God. We're going to jump in. Praise God that both sermons aren't going to be the length of a regular one. They're going to be two mini ones. Um, but the first one that I want to talk about is titled, The Flesh is Weak. The flesh is so weak. The flesh is weak. For any of you that have been around my wife, Nina, and I for even a short amount of time, you'll realize that we love to take pictures together. It's just kind of our thing. Um, we'll always say, hey, let's stop and, and, and get a picture. I see Matt P over here. He's been our photographer for about five years. <laughs> He's shaking his head. Sorry, man. <laughs> but you've done an amazing job, bro. Um, no, uh, we just say, hey, you know, hey, let's grab a picture. And I remember the other day, it was after church, and uh, we decided to get a picture. And um, the person that, that took it for us, showed us that hey what do you think is that a good picture and we said you know it, it, it really is good but if you could take one more because we want to get the shoes in there has anybody ever been there amen don't, don't be too spiritual in here you got to get you got to get show the shoes some love in the picture we said we said no if you don't mind can we get a full body picture can we just get a full body picture um i i, I believe that that the apostle paul wants to wants to give us a full body picture he wants us to not just stop right here at who we are apart from Christ or, or right here apart from Christ. He wants us to see the whole thing of who we are apart from Christ. He says, he says friends, you got to realize that you were dead. Not in a spiritual coma. You were really 
dead, deceased, that you were following this world as a dead person, you were following the enemy, that you were living with the spirit of disobedience, your heart was stone cold, right? And now he says it like this. Let me go ahead and complete the picture for you. He says, among whom you all once walked in verse 3. He says, you once lived in the passions of our flesh. The passions of our flesh. This drew me to do a study on, well, what does that mean? Is that just talking about like the skin that's on our body? Are we just following? Does our skin have like a voice? Are we living according to the passions of our flesh? And really the doctrine of the flesh is an important doctrine in the Bible. It's important that we have a correct understanding of what the flesh actually is. Verse 3 can be broken up into two parts, talking about the passions of the flesh and then the minds and desires of the body. And then also we can go deeper into the wrath of God, which we'll hit before we close today. But this right here is talking about the passions or the lusts of our flesh. I believe this is, it's important for us to understand the flesh. Here's why. It's important to see this. In Romans 8, chapter 8, this is crucial for us. If you're ready, say, I'm ready. ready. Those who are in the flesh cannot please God. I don't know about you. I'm, we're not going to do a show of hands. Raise your hand in your heart if you want to please God, right? I know for me that... That's my testimony. I want to, at the end of the day, have the Father say to me, well done, my good and faithful servant. I know you. You're a child of the King. Enter into eternity. I'm pleased with you. That, 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 that sounds like good news to my ear. And praise God that you can have that good news in the bank, secure through genuine saving faith in Christ, who did everything for you that you could never do, dying on the cross, rising from the grave, interceding on your behalf right now and calling, pleading, saying, hey, those who come to me, follow me, believe in me, shall be saved. In this case, we're talking about people who have rejected the gospel and by their flesh have chosen their own way, which is no way at all. It's a way to displease God. Those who are in the flesh cannot please God. Walking by faith, you can. Walking in the flesh, you can't. John MacArthur, in his commentary, says it like this. He says, the flesh opposes the work of the Spirit and leads the believer towards sinful behavior he would not otherwise be compelled to do. The flesh in us, this state that we're in, leads us away to, from being the man or woman that God calls us to be, that even who we want to be, our nature, our flesh, is pulling us toward the wrong thing. Maybe you'd have this question in here today. I get what you're saying, Pastor. I, I hear what you're saying. But help me have some handlebars. Like, practically, what does that look like? And I don't want to um, leave you wondering what that, that answer may be because we have an answer here in the Scriptures. Galatians chapter 5, verse 19 through 21. We have a list for us to observe this morning. Now, the works of the flesh are evident. He says, sexual immorality, impurity, sensuality, idolatry, sorcery, enmity, strife, jealousy, fits of anger, rivalries, dissensions, divisions, envy, drunkenness, orgies, and things like these. I warn you, 
as I warned you before, that those who do such things will not inherit the kingdom of God. Challenging verses from the Apostle Paul to us here this morning. I want to just go ahead and acknowledge that the battle is real. The struggle is real, but so is the joy for those who are found in Christ. Paul has a strong list here. MacArthur says that this list can be compiled into three categories, sex, religion, and relationships. And when, when, when the flesh is guiding those three subjects, it can turn out bad. And that's what happened here in the Galatian church as he's, he's acknowledging that you guys have been living according to the flesh, but don't stay there. Don't stay there. By his spirit, you can be raised to walk in the newness of life. It says, these are the things that you once lived in. And maybe you would say, hey, you know what? My, he didn't mention mine. <laughs> if it's in your head, it's like that, all right? Like, it's somewhere in there. Paul was like, look, I'm, I got tired of writing, like, all these different things, all these mess-ups and struggles that he probably struggled with too. And he says, and anything else that's like that, all right? If it's coming to your mind right now, it's probably like that, okay? It fits into that category. James says, he who knows what to do and doesn't do it, sins. And that could be the flesh, the flesh in you. The question is, do you, do you hear the flesh and the desires and the voice of sin over the voice of him? That's the question, if, whether or not you're living according to the flesh. Let me pull back up Ephesians 2, 3. We see the second part. He goes deeper in explaining what the flesh is. Really, the flesh is carrying out the desires of the body and the mind. Apart from Christ, our body is sinful. The prophet Jeremiah says our heart is deceptive and sick. Like our hearts are sick. Not just your body gets sick, but our hearts apart from Jesus are sick, are deceptive, and they pump ideas into our mind, which then leads our body to saying, oh, that's what I want. And there was a moment apart from Christ where we just were obedient to those voices. Hey, do that. Okay. Hey, watch this. Okay. Hey, that'll make you feel good if you do it. Okay. That's living according to the flesh. The desires of your body and your mind control you rather than the voice of God. And that's, a, that, that's how you can measure what am I giving more attention to? What am I giving more ear to? Am I giving more ear to him or to myself or to somebody else? I was encouraged by one of the brothers in our church. He said, hey, you know what? The, the, the best thing for you to do is the next best thing. Figure out what the next best thing is for you to do that God's calling you to do and just do that. And just keep making that decision daily. The next best thing in Christ. Not according to the flesh, but according to his word, according to the spirit that lives in us. For the believer, we have the advantage over the flesh. What's that? Well, that's the Holy Spirit's voice, conviction, comfort, help, counsel. Jesus says he'll send you his spirit and he'll teach you all things. I'll tell you, there's been so many times in my life over the past decade of walking with Jesus where the spirit has just said, don't do it. Don't send it. Don't say it. Don't watch it. And I have that quick moment where either I can listen to the Spirit or I can listen to myself. There's a way that seems right to me. And the end may be death. And I want to discern the voice of God 
in those moments. I praise God that I have his spirit in me. And you can have that too. The flesh and the spirit are at war with one another. Maybe you've envisioned it kind of like with the, the angel and, and the enemy. That's kind of a, a real picture there, right? But it's more inward. It's in the heart. It's the flesh and its cravings that want to lead you to death and to lead you to follow where you once were. Go back to Egypt. Stay enslaved. Or walk out of your prison cell and walk in freedom that Christ has bought for you. It's your choice this morning. In Romans chapter 8, we see this um, powerful chapter in the Bible. I remember as a college student, I was convicted of this as I was thinking about it. I once tried to memorize this entire chapter. I got far along and then I got distracted. I was like, man, I got to get back to memorizing this chapter. But I remember meditating and memorizing these verses because I know this battle well. And here's what Paul writes to the Roman church. He says, those who live according to the flesh set their minds on the things of the flesh. But those who live according to the Spirit set their minds on the things of the Spirit. For to set the mind on the flesh is, say it with me, death. But to set the mind on the Spirit, capital S, is life and peace. Let me just highlight those two words for you really quick. Life and peace. How many of you guys want that? Right? I don't want to just tap life. I want to experience the abundant life. Like, I want the fullness. I want a robust life that God has for me. I don't want to get to heaven and, and God, like, pull out, like, a whole, like, um, container of, like, stuff that he had for me if I would have just followed him. And, like, I could see that on the back end. I, like, oh, I want to tap into all that now, God. I want every moment that you have bought for me and you have paved for me. I want to I step into that and live it to the fullest. And he says, here's how you can do it. Live according to the spirit, not the flesh. The flesh is so temporary and it'll kill you. I have life and life abundantly, and not just life, but peace. He adds the phrase peace. I think that's something that people have wired into their heart that they really do want. God, I just want to have peace. Peace with you, peace with one another, peace in life. You can have that through a relationship with Christ. That is one of the byproducts of a relationship with Christ. Life and peace. Two for two, Pastor Dean. I want that, man. For the mind that is set on the flesh is hostile to God. When we're walking according to the flesh, we got hostility with God. And you, you never want to be on the other side of that ring where it's you and, and the one who breathed out planets. You got no chance. You got no chance. You're not big enough. You're not strong enough. You're not cool enough. You don't got enough money. It's not impressive to God. You don't want hostility with God, yet you will have it apart from Christ. Jesus has made a way. He finishes here and he says it like this. Hostile to God, for it does not submit to God's law. Indeed, it cannot. When we walk according to the flesh, we cannot submit to God's law. Because the flesh will never do such a thing. My encouragement to you today is that maybe you would identify the areas in your life that you are most prone to live according to the flesh. Right? I don't want to get um, uh, legalistic to where you're like living, I can't do this, I can't do that every step of the way and it becomes more about religious duty rather than relationship freedom. Right? Like, because I have a relationship with Jesus, I walk in freedom. Like, I'm not worried if he's mad at me or not. I'm already, I'm already a son. <laughs> not worried about that. But I do know that God has what's best for me, so I just want to follow what's best. That's it. And let him take care of the rest.
That's what we see here in Romans chapter 8. Say, I want to identify God. Show me, expose to me. Let me go in the x-ray room of my entire full body, head to toe. What are the areas of the flesh that are popping out? Those are the things I want to put on the cross. And I want to embrace his spirit. And not just embrace his spirit, but walk according to the spirit. And when I do that, I walk in freedom. There's so much freedom in Christ. Jesus once told the disciples this as they wrestled with it. Remember, we all once wrestled with it. And some still are. And we still will until the other side of eternity. But I remember the disciples, these men had walked with Jesus himself, the physical Jesus, for three years. And on the toughest night of Jesus' life, if he had a tough night, it was this night. The text says that he was sweating drops of blood. It's an actual medical condition that you could be so stressed out and under such adversity that you could sweat blood, it could almost kill you. It says that Jesus was having the hardest night of his life. And in Matthew 26, we read these verses. Jesus looks at his disciples and says, Watch and pray that you may not enter into temptation. And boy, would they enter into temptation. The spirit indeed is willing, but the flesh is weak. Jesus gave them the recipe on how to win temptation. By, by watching, by being alert, by being focused, being ready. Don't be distracted. Don't be messing around. I don't know everything that Adam was doing at the time where his wife fell into sin. But he wasn't watching. He wasn't focused. The same is true for us today. If we're not focused, the enemy roars around like a lion waiting to devour somebody. And he'll devour you if you're not focused. Watch and stay prayed up. Because the flesh is so weak, man. But I'll tell you what, I've always seen the spirit to be willing. Isn't that great? That you could have the spirit on the bench for your entire life. And you call upon him and he's ready, he's willing. He wants to come in the game and change it up. Say, all right, spirit... You know, I'm going to put myself on the bench and I'm going to check the spirit in the game and I need you to win the game and give me life and peace. That's that, that, you get to that point, you'll walk in freedom. Self on the shelf. Come on. Self on the cross. Don't just stay on the shelf. You can hop off the shelf. Right? Like, I've been crucified with Christ. It's no longer I who live, but it's Christ who lives in me. The life I live now in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and called me. Galatians 2.20, right? We've got we to ingrain His Word into our hearts so we can call upon His Word when the flesh rises up. The fle- as, as a pastor, as a, as a husband, as a dad, as a friend, as a brother, as a son, the, the, the flesh still rises up in me. The question is, is the Spirit of God in me so full? So, so do I, does He have total access of every room in my life? Do you have rooms in your heart that you don't let God into? Like, God, you can go in all the rooms. Just go in, don't go into this one. That's my room. Right? And it's super dirty, and I don't want you to see the mess. Like, the Spirit's like, I'm about to clean that thing up. Like, the Spirit will just stand outside. You'll creep open. He's right there. He's willing. He's willing. He's willing. Look at the person next to you and say, He's willing. He's willing, but the flesh is weak. The flesh is weak. Let me go ahead and lead us into the rest of our verse here today. 
It says, among whom we all once lived in the passions of our flesh, carrying out the desires of the body and the mind, and were by nature children of wrath, like the rest of mankind. We were by nature children of wrath. Tim Keller in his commentary on the Ephesians says it like this. He says, remember now, church, Paul has wonderful news to share of God's grace, but we will never truly rejoice in it until we recognize how appalling our natural condition really is without Christ. It's not bad, it's appalling. And you'll never fully rejoice in the gospel. The gospel is so glorious to the person who's been saved by it. But the gospel is good news if you need good news, right? The good news matters to those who need it. The truth is you and I need it. Really, really badly need it. Like, 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 like if you went to the doctor's office, you just had like a little like pain in your ankle and you're like, hey doc, can you check out my ankle? I got some pain in it. The doctor comes back and he says, you need to sit down, sir. I say, why, what's up? Can you heal my ankle? He says, you have a disease in your ankle that is going to make it to your heart within a month and you'll be dead. At that moment, what would you, what, how would you feel? What would you do? What would you say? Oh my goodness. And then he said, but there's a cure. I want that good news. I need that good news. Don't leave me there. The gospel is that you are dead. You got a disease. It's going to send you to hell and it's going to terrorize your life now. But there is a cure. His name is Jesus. You probably should give him some interest now. Like, don't like, yeah, I'm going to get right next year. Like, I'm going to get right when I get myself right. You'll never get yourself right. Right? It's like couples that say like, oh, I'm going to have kids when we get our money right. Like, no, that, that's not the answer. Like, just listen to the Lord on that. Right? Like, I'm going to get right when myself, get myself clean. Like, nobody, nobody cleans themselves up and then jumps in the shower. No, you jump in the shower dirty. Like, jump in this shower of Christ. Let him clean you. Let me give you the second title of my message today. Um, not just the flesh is weak, but God's wrath is terrifying. God's wrath is terrifying, horrific, scary. The text says that we were by nature children of his wrath, objects of his wrath, by nature. It was, it was our nature. There was a popular hip-hop group in the 90s called Naughty by Nature. They had a song called Hip Hop Hooray. Um, and, and, and their name was actually really biblical. The naughty, sinful, choosing the things of the flesh by nature. 20 times in the Old Testament, God speaks of his wrath. And how his wrath falls upon the sons of disobedience. According to James Montgomery Boyce in his commentary, over 600 important passages are in the Bible that deal with the subject of God's wrath. He is very vocal on the subject of wrath. It is in the text, it's in the scripture, and it's something that we need to be aware of. In Exodus chapter 22, verse 24, God's wrath is demonstrated toward unjust living. In Leviticus chapter 10, verse 6, God speaks of his wrath toward those who disobey his law. In Numbers 16, verse 46, Moses speaks to his brother that God's wrath will fall upon our disobedience. In Deuteronomy chapter 9, verse 7, God speaks of his wrath as the people were entering into the wilderness. In Joshua chapter 9, verse 20, have fear of God's wrath for not keeping their word. In 1 Samuel 28, verse 18, after Saul had committed his sin, he speaks of God's wrath toward the king for his disobedience. 
In 2 Kings chapter 3, verse 27, there was sin in the land, unjust acts happening, and God's wrath fell upon the people in the land. In 2 Chronicles 32, verse 25, King Hezekiah had a great life up to the last part of his life. He blew it and became a subject of God's wrath. Ezra chapter 8, verse 22, Ezra ministered to the people and reminded them to find their hope in God or else they'll rest in God's wrath. All throughout the scriptures, we see this reality of God's wrath. And I just highlighted a quarter of the verses. There's a full body of that reality in the scriptures. And I don't want us to be deceived that that would stop for some reason with us. Like, okay, God had wrath all throughout the Bible. This holy, just, righteous wrath towards sin and disobedience. But for some reason, you're an exception. I'm not, I know that much. That's why I needed to get right with Christ. But the wrath of God is on us in two primary ways. Present wrath and future wrath. Let me describe present wrath to you just briefly. In, in Romans chapter one, starting at verse 18 to the end of the verse for the note takers out there, Romans chapter one majors on this subject of God's wrath saying that we're all under the discipline of God's wrath. And here's what it looks like. It's God allowing us to do what we want to do. God in his wrath said, all right, I could easily make a, a boat through a Noah type person and send a flood and demonstrate wrath that way. Could do that. I've done that. And he said, I'm not going to do it again. And this time in Romans chapter one, he says, here's how I'm going to demonstrate wrath. I'm going to let sinful people do what they want. <laughs> I'm not even going to challenge him anymore. Like God, you go all throughout the Old Testament, God's like sending snakes. He's sending storms. He's like sending fire. Hey, stop sinning. I'm, I'm, I'm what's for you. I'm, I'm best for you. Listen to me. Don't go there. Don't do it. Trust me. I'm, I'm, God's over here trying to get their attention. God's trying to keep this one up, trying to get their attention. And God says, fine. All right, you guys do it yourself. And that will be my way of demonstrating wrath. It's in God's grace that he talks to us. That conviction on your heart that says don't go there, that's God's grace. That's God saying, hey, don't go in the street. I already see the car coming. Like, I already see what's going to happen around the corner. You can trust me. When God stops doing that, you should be worried. You really should. That's a, that's a, that's a judgment sign. You want to do it yourself? Do it yourself. And you'll get yourself results. It's not working. I mean, I, I would ask you that in, in all humility this morning. How's it working for you? Like how, like trying to live this life on your own. According to the flesh, how's it, are you happy? Are you, you enjoying it? Does it work? Do you, do you feel like you found peace? Do you feel like you, you, you're achieving the, the dreams that God's given you? Are you finding victory in your life? I know for me, I wasn't. I was just kind of cruising along, empty. God's wrath is demonstrated on us today by saying, oh, you want to live that type of a lifestyle? Live it. And I'll just leave you alone. And you'll find yourself exactly with what you want. Someone said, hey, how come God does it? Why, why would God send people to hell? People send themselves to hell. You just got to reject Christ. He's done everything he could do in sending his son. That's, that's gospel, gospel purity right there. So present wrath is God just taking his hand off and saying, go for it. Future wrath will come. Future wrath will come. You guys know that Jesus came as the suffering servant. The, the prophet Isaiah says there wasn't an attractional thing about him. 
He was not glowing like the Catholic pictures sometimes paint him to be. Um, he, he was a man's man. He was a carpenter. And he, he lived a very normal, ordinary life, but was without sin. He was a teacher. He was a man of God. And he was God in the flesh. He was, he was, he was the Messiah, the promised Savior, coming King. But people struggled with that because they thought, well, hey, I thought he was going to come like riding in on the horse, sword in his hand, put Caesar off the throne, restore Israel. Isn't that what's going to happen? They struggled with, well, hey, Jesus was saying, hey, I got to get things right spiritually before I do it physically. And so he did that through living a perfect life that we couldn't live, dying on the cross, the death we deserve to die, not saying a word. They said, do you say that you're the Messiah? Jesus said, you just said it. You know I am. Put him on the cross, rose from the grave, lived for 40 more days, ascended into heaven, and will be coming back again. But let, let me remind you, we can clap on that because that is good news, but let me remind you that when he comes back, we'll look very different than when he came the first time. We actually see a picture of it in Revelation chapter 19, verse 20. It says, from his mouth came a sharp sword. That to me just sounds scary. Like out of his mouth came a sharp sword to strike down the nations. He will rule them with an iron rod. He will release the fierce wrath of God, the Almighty, like juice flowing from a wine press. He is not coming back as the suffering servant. He's coming back as the king of the kingdom. Right? The Lord of all the lowercase lords and every knee will bow. Every tongue will confess. Either you'll bow on purpose or your knees will shatter and you'll bow and acknowledge that Christ is Lord. Yes. That's, that's what's going to happen. Right? Like, I stopped, I stopped clenching my fists a long time ago. I got tired of God, like, prying my fingers off. Like, all right, all right. It's yours. It's yours. And every time I've let go, I've seen God do amazing work found more joy and life and peace in Christ today than I've ever had before. And that can be your testimony as well. It, 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 is it difficult? Yes. Jesus says that the way um, to destruction is broad. Everybody's on it. But the way to life is a narrow road and few find it. Maybe that would be your testimony this morning. So I'm tired of doing this on my own. I need Christ. Praise God, there's going to be a couple people getting baptized today, putting their yes on the table. I'm going to celebrate with them right after the service. But I just want to remind you, I'm going to close with this verse. Our worship team is going to lead us into a time of song and response. If you need to respond, we're going to have our prayer warriors up here. I would love to respond with you. love to pray for you. I'd love to lift you up. I want to close with one verse of scripture right now. Out of John chapter 3, verse 36. Y'all thought I was going to say John 3:16. Good verse too, though. John 3, 36. Whoever believes in the Son has eternal life. Whoever does not obey the Son shall not see life, but the wrath of God remains on him. Remains. Remains on you. That doesn't have to be your story. Believing and obedience are two sides of the same coin. You can't have one without the other. And we see that here. The, the words are interchangeable. Believe in the Son. Believe in the Son. Believe in the Son. Believe in the Son. And, and eternal life can start now for you.